Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Well, I welcome you this morning, and I want you to open your Bibles. We're going to go to Nehemiah chapter 11 today. If you have your, your notes or maybe something, a, a Bible marker, you might want to put it there. We're going to have a little, uh, little background before we come to this chapter. This chapter is another list in Nehemiah. It's another record. Perhaps you have gone to a graduation and you have waited through, if you was in a university, uh, you waited through perhaps hundreds of names and you were waiting for maybe one or two names and you sat there and you watched the names go through the alphabet. And if you're blessed with the name like ours, W, you know, wise, you're going to be there a while. And, uh, and so, you know, and then you wait and that one name is read and you're like, yeah, and then they're off the stage and, and there's all of the stories. Why, why does that one person, that loved one matter to you? You know them. You care about them. And it's not that you don't care about all of the hundreds of other people. It's just you don't know them. Other people know them. You have no idea. We have no idea what they went through to finish that accomplishment. We don't know what they went through. Maybe it was a loss of a parent while they were in school. Maybe it was you know, a sickness that they faced. Maybe an accident they were in. All these different things that if you knew their story... You'd maybe embarrass your family standing up cheering for that person. Like, why are you cheering for them? Like, I know them. You know, what they went through is amazing. They graduated. Maybe you've watched somebody at a marathon, you know, hundreds, even thousands of runners. And you're looking for that one person to see them come around or cross the finish line. Everybody else, you don't know them. And I want us to keep that in mind as we look at this study and we go through Nehemiah. There are all of these different people and they're important. Every single person matters to God. You matter to God. You're made in his image. You have intrinsic value. So it has nothing to do with your accomplishments, whether you have graduated or not. It has nothing to do with how much you own, what your portfolio is, your accomplishments. All of that can come and go. Thank the Lord. It has nothing to do with your, your 401k or all of that you're watching in the financial markets right now. Your value is not connected to that. It's not tied to that. Not in God's eyes. And as we come to this, story, this, this account this morning, we have to remember the rules of a- application Before we jump to applying the Bible, we actually have to go back. There's really three bridges we have to cross every time we open our Bibles. And I'm excited about this message this morning. I want you to be excited about this message this morning because I believe it's going to help you whenever, and I want you to be reading through the Old Testament. I want you to, I'll encourage you, like our pastor encouraged us, read through the Bible every year. And sometimes it can be challenging when you're in the Old Testament and you don't feel like you have a framework for it or, or handles to grasp with the Old Testament and how does this apply to me and what do I do with this? I believe this message this morning will help unlock a lot of that for you. So I'm excited about it. I was ready to get here this morning. I always tell people on like Wednesday or Thursday, I'm going to try and make it. They're like, wait a second, I can say that, but you can't say that. You're the pastor. I'm like, yeah, you're a Christian. So uh, let's see if you see what happens here. You know, uh, there's three bridges. One, we have to go back across time, okay? So we just kind of have to transport. We open our Bibles, and we're not in the same time as Jesus' day, 2,000 years ago, Nehemiah's day, about 2,500 years ago. Okay, so the lot, in case you didn't know this, a lot has changed in 2,500 years. This just in. All right, breaking news. There's another barrier that we have to cross, another bridge we have to cross, and that's a language barrier. We don't speak the same language that they speak. So we're going to have to do some work and understanding. It's not a one-for-one. That's the whole problem with people who say, King James only. They don't understand. It wasn't written in King James English, you know, old English. They spoke a different language, and we don't speak that language. 
And there's a lot of challenging to understanding Hebrew. But it's worthwhile and it's worth us studying. There's another barrier and it's cultural. They're, they're in a completely different society. They thought differently. They functioned differently. At the heart, they were the same. They had the same issues, struggles that we have. But culturally, just like if you get on a plane and you go to Zambia or anywhere else, you're going to have to figure out what is this culture where I now am and how do I bring the same truth, the same gospel of the God who created us all, we're in his image, how do I tell them in a way that they can understand? That's the challenge, especially if there's not a language for those people. And Christians have, for 2,000 years, gone into every place because Jesus commanded us to go. And if they don't have a language, like William Carey, when he got to India, he gave them, he wrote it down because he wanted them to compare their holy scriptures with the holy scriptures. And then he would have a conversation of reasoning, not just building straw man arguments and just whip it all down and, and just trust in Jesus. Who's this Jesus? He was going to say, you have to go away. You have to turn your back on 330 million gods for one who is Jesus of Nazareth, the son of God. They would have added Jesus in. But to turn from to, that's important. So those are the barriers that we have to cross. And then we come to, so then how do we rightly understand? And now how do we obey it? How do we put it into practice? How do we rise up and build Israel, in this time, 2,500 years ago, there's a revival going on. The title of today's message is National Reset. Where is that button, right? Can we have a national reset? We'd like one of those. Where is it? Let me push it right now. <laughs> is there a reset button on the gas prices? I'd like to hit that right now. There's a lot of things we'd like to hit reset on. Okay, so as we get the background to what Nehemiah is dealing with, I think we're going to feel some of the pain that Nehemiah was actually experiencing. In chapter 8 of Nehemiah, the word was bring out the book, and Ezra was ready and willing and went and got the book. And when God's word was read, people's lives began to change. They were convicted. They were under great weight. And then they celebrated, and they began in that feast. They went the seven days, uh, the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles. And now they've come back to, but there are some, there's some unfinished business. And we got into last week in chapter 10. Here, here are the individuals that affixed their seal to this covenant. And they said, that was wonderful that our parents, you know, covenant and that God made that covenant with Moses at Sinai and our fathers came into the land and our fathers were put into exile. Now we're back and we want to put our names that we will not neglect of the house of our God. That's where we ended chapter 10. My encouragement to you for us today is that we not neglect the house of our God. What is the house? It can be wherever it is the people of God worship. We can meet in a field, and it's the house of our God because we're his temples. He goes with us. He doesn't stay here through the week. He stays. He's in here. If you know Christ, if you turn from your sin and you've trusted in Jesus, he's with you all the time. He lives in you. The power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, and he will never leave you alone, and that's a good thing, and that's a convicting thing. He is watching over us. Now, they bring out the book, and now here's two names that I want you to be familiar with. The tribes, Judah and Benjamin. Everybody say those two names with me, Judah and Benjamin. All right, we've got some brothers here. And this is, quite honestly, I love what, what just unfolded uh, in study this week. So let's go back in our Bibles, okay? You got, your, you got your place there. Go back to where it all begins, and that's in Genesis. No, seriously, we're going to have a six-hour message today? He's starting in Genesis? Just go, we're, I just want you to put some markers. There's a little extra space on your, just some empty spots up there. You write down, you know, whatever comes to mind as we're going through this, okay? But in Genesis 37, Joseph has the dreams. His brothers hate him. And then they plot and they plan. And Judah is the one that comes up with Reuben's like, let's don't kill him. Put him in a pit. Judah runs off to wherever, uh, or uh, Reuben runs off wherever he goes, and Joseph is there. He's in a pit. Guys, guys, brothers, why am I in a pit, guys? 
And Judah sees the, the traveling Ishmaelites, and he's like, hey, let's make some money off our brother. Let's don't kill him, pull him up out of the pit. They sell him to Egypt. That's Judah's idea. And Judah, and Judah is responsible. He makes the transaction. Reuben comes back. Where's Joseph? We sold him. They take his coat of many colors. They hated him desperately. They shred it up. They put blood on it. They take it back to their father, and he says... They let him just do the two and two and come up with, oh, a wild beast must have gotten my son. Must have, Dad. All right, anyway, I got to go. Okay, that's chapter 37. Then Judah's story uh, carries on in chapter 38. This man was a failure. Okay, so men, any men here, you feel like you're a failure? Any, uh, any wives that you will not raise your hand or say amen? You're like, my husband, he needs this message. He's just a failure. He's a failure. All right, well, Judah is a failure. He's just an unholy, unrighteous, self-centered. He's kind of a horrible guy. You praying for anybody that's just a horrible person? Okay, the scriptures give us hope. 37, let's sell him. He did human trafficking. That's what we know that as. Judah fathered Ur, Onan, and a guy named Shelah by Shua. Well, who is Shua? She's a Canaanite woman. Uh Uh-oh. Remember God's instruction to his people, "Don't, don't intermarry? Here's Judah. He doesn't care. He's got three kids by a Canaanite woman. That's in Genesis 38. And then those sons are so wicked that God actually killed them. So Ur, dead. Onan, dead. Their wife was Tamar. And Tamar was supposed to wait for Shelah in the Leverite marriage to have an heir, to have a son, to carry on the family name. And Judah looks over the situation. He's like, I'm not giving another son to this lady. She's killing all my boys. That's exactly what happened. The Lord did. And so Tamar says, he's not, giving, he's not going to give to me uh, Sheila. So she put off the clothes of mourning, and she dressed as a prostitute, and Judah fathered a son named Perez and Zerah by Tamar, Tamar, his daughter-in-law. Okay, so when I said Judah, not a good guy, I'm backing it up right now, okay? I'm supporting that. So he, first of all, marries a Canaanite woman, three sons. He holds on to the last one. And then his daughter-in-law, he sleeps with her, and she's wiser than he is, and says, what, what are you going to show for payment? And he says, here's my signet. Here's my staff. And he gives identification. And then when it all unfolds, Judah comes, and they say, hey, Judah, your daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law is with child. She's pregnant. There's going to be a baby. And he says, how dare she dishonor the family? And the death penalty is coming for this girl. And she says, yes, I understand. And I see that you're all, I'm paraphrasing now. I see that you're very concerned about this. And if you want to know who this man is, then uh, here's his driver's license. She pulls out his seal, his signet. And he goes, that's my child. This is not good. Where's my press secretary now? I need help. But he honestly says, she's been more righteous than I. She's right. She's right. I'm wrong. And so then he cared for her, and he never slept with her again. Well, that's Judah. What about Benjamin? There's a brother. Benjamin was the full brother of Joseph. Rachel was their mother. Okay, so Jacob had 12 sons. Two of them were full brothers, Joseph and Benjamin. Jacob tried to protect Benjamin at all costs when he lost Joseph. So this is his, the, the, you know, the, all the babies in the house. You're, you're the youngest child. That's me. That's, I'm one of them. I'm, my mom is here this morning. All right, I'm the baby. Ginger's mom is here. Came in for the graduation. Tom, my stepdad's here. I'm the baby. Anybody else the baby? Come on, join me. The spoiled one's in the house. All right, there we go. All right, that's Benjamin. So they've already taken out all their anger on Joseph. He's gone. Benjamin, his dad is like, Ben, Ben, you're staying right here. You're not going anywhere. You're right next to me. Then a famine comes. Now, what are they going to do? 
So the famine comes and the 10 sons go down to Egypt. They hear there's food there. There's grain there. So they get down to Egypt and Joseph was there and Joseph sees them and they don't recognize him. They have no concept that he could still be alive, let alone second in command in Egypt. Well, there he is. He gives to them the grain and he says, hey, how's it going? And and it ends up coming out. They have a brother at home. He asks them about the father. He asks them, you have any other brothers? And yeah, he's at home. And he says, how about we do this? Prove that you're not spies and I'm gonna keep one of your brothers. Simeon is going to prison. You're gonna enjoy the prisons in in Egypt, Simeon. Trust me. He doesn't say all that, but he's doing something. He sends them out. They go home, all the money is back in their sacks. They get home, now there's nine brothers. And what are they gonna do? There's actually 10, 10, you know, we got Benjamin at home, Joseph and Simeon are in Egypt. And they say, we can't come back, Dad, until we bring Benjamin, the man in Egypt, the the leader in Egypt. Pharaoh's right-hand man said, we can't come back for more grain if we don't bring Benjamin. And Jacob, Israel, as his changed name, says, no way, you're not taking Benjamin. Benny's my boy. He's all I got left. Now, imagine being a brother hearing that. He, you know, he's my guy. He's all I have left. Okay. So they go through the grain, and they're beginning to starve, And they say, we've got to go back to Egypt. There's more grain there. And by the way, we have a brother down there in prison until we come back. Did you forget about Simeon? He says, no. Reuben comes up with the idea. Remember, he tried to save Joseph. He says, here's the deal, Dad. Let's go, and if anything happens to Benjamin, kill me. Jacob says, you know, I've had enough death in the family. How about no? So that doesn't get anything done. And then in chapter 42, chapter 42 of Genesis, Judah comes up with a different idea, a different plan, and he says, here's the deal, Dad. You give me Benjamin, my half-brother, and what we'll do is we'll go down to Egypt, and if anything happens to Benjamin, I will bear the blame forever. And Jacob says, okay, we have to have it. I care a little bit about Simeon, but you better bring back, you better bring back Benjamin. So they go. They get back to Egypt. Think about this. Joseph sees them. Now here's the 12 brothers reunited. There's a reunion that happens. One's in prison, he brings him back, and he looks, and this is the first time he's seen Benjamin in a long time, his full brother. He's still testing them. He says, bring them to my house. I'm gonna feed them. Then he sets out the banquet. He puts them all in order by their age around the table. How did he know this? They still don't know it's his brother. They don't know it's Joseph. He's still back from them. He's still withheld from them. And then they bring out the servings for Benjamin. And they give him five times the servings. And Joseph is watching them, no doubt. Are they still jealous? Are they still bitter? Are they looking at Benjamin's portion, thinking, how come he gets five? I should have five. I'm the oldest. He knows I'm the oldest. Look where I'm sitting. How does he know I'm the oldest? And they're talking and he's listening to them. And then he dismisses them and he puts all the money back in and then he puts his his cup into Benjamin's bag, lets him get out of town, and then he sends his people after them and here's the promise. One of the brothers says, hey, if you find, we haven't taken it. You've taken Joseph's cup. They didn't say Joseph. Why would you take his cup? No, no, no. They get off their donkeys. You can search all of the bags and here, whoever's bag you find this in, the bag of grain, you can kill that person. They go from the oldest to the youngest and there it is in Benjamin's bag. And Judah is destroyed. They go back. They get back to... In chapter 44, they get back into Joseph's presence. 
That's where all of this chapter, why have you repaid evil for good? They find it in verse 12 in Benjamin's sack. And listen, when, they, when Judah and his brothers in verse 14 of Genesis 44, when they come into Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell before him to the ground, fulfilling those dreams that Joseph had earlier in life. Verse 15, Joseph said to them, what deed is this you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice div- divination? And Judah said, what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or what can we, or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Now, this is what I want you to hear. All of the guilt of all of these years has been eating these guys alive from the inside out. And they're in the prison. They still don't know it's Joseph. They have been chased by their own shame and guilt for all of these years. He says, behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also in whose hand the cup has been found. That's Benjamin, verse 17. But he said, far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. Verse 18, is Judah gonna go? Okay, got my life. I tried, dad, I tried. Then Judah went up to him and said, Oh, my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears. And let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a young brother, and the child of his old age. His brother, Joseph, is dead, and he alone is left of, my mother, of his mother's children. And his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me that I may set my eyes on him. We said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father. For if he should leave his father, his father would die. Then you said to your servants, unless their youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. Then we went back to your servant, my father, and we told him the words of my Lord. And when our father said, go again, buy us a little food, we said, we cannot go down. If our youngest brother goes not with us, then we will go. If he goes with us, then we will go down. For we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me, that's Joseph. And I said, surely he's been torn in pieces. That's what he thought. And I have never seen him since. If you take this one also from me, see, see what's going on even in Jacob's heart? I sent him to you boys. He was bringing my news and my food to you. And he never came back when I sent him to you. You think he's got a little bitterness? He didn't, he didn't get to say goodbye to his child. And I've never seen him since. Verse 29, if you take this one also from me and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray hairs in evil to Sheol. Now, therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die, and your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. Now, understand that the scripture is not supporting that Jacob's life was bound up in his son. Listen to me, parents and grandparents. If your life is bound up in your children, you're going to get let down. If your life is bound up in your family, you will be let down. This is almost a form of idolatry that he so worships his son. What does my son want to do? I have to, I have to keep my, this is a hover dad. He can't go anywhere. He can't go anywhere. He might get hurt. He might get hurt. I have to be God and protect him. He can't do anything dangerous ever out of my sight. 
The, the scripture is not praising this. Jude is just telling this is the reality. If we come back and there's no Benny with us, our father is going to, like Eli, die. He won't make it. And he doesn't want to hear, I'll bear the blame forever. Do you hear this appeal? And Joseph is, he's watching all of this. He's, he's, he's weighing this all out. He's listening. What is, what is Judah? As soon as I come to your servant, my father, his boy is not with us, and his life is bound up in the boy's life. As soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die, and your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant, now here's the background, 32, became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then he, I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now, therefore, Judah to Joseph, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. You hear what, what Judah's doing here? To his father, he was saying, let me bear the blame. To his brother, he doesn't know it's his brother yet, he's saying, I'll be the substitute. Take me. Joseph, at that point, is wrecked. Judah's a different guy. It's not the same Judah that he heard up from out of the hole in the ground. Hey, let's sell him. Let's get some money out of him. He's hearing his brother in front of him, pleading, bowing, fulfilling all of those dreams from a child that the Lord gave to him. And there he is. Everything's changed. And Joseph loses it. And Joseph sends everybody not family out of the meeting, out of the room, shut the doors, and all of the staff is outside of the palace room, that room, and they're all up against the door listening, and he is in there, and he begins to cry. Another one of my heroes in the Bible, and every now and then I can shed a tear, right? I can get a little choked up when praying or whatever. And he begins to cry, and then they realize it is Joseph. And that's joy, and that's, oh. What would I do to me if I was in his position? This man is like Pharaoh. All he has to do is say, gallows. And they're dead in minutes. Or if he wants to leave them for weeks, hanging on a gallow, they realize we're in trouble. Well, there's a sweet reunion there. They go home. Dad, this is all these chapters in between. Joseph's alive. He said, come on to Egypt. He'll have a place for you. What? So they come. They bring everything. About 70 of them come to Egypt. They get there, Joseph meets. And then Jacob, go to chapter 49. Jacob comes to the blessing and he blesses his children. And in chapter 49, he goes through and he just kind of gives the, the behind the scenes to all of the character of these boys, of his sons. And down in verse eight, he gives the blessing to Judah. Judah. Your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From, my, from the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion as a, and as a lioness who dares rouse him. Verse 10. Listen to this now. Judah the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Not just people, it's peoples, it's all people groups. Binding, now think about Jesus coming in, 
um, on Palm Sunday. They're crying out, Hosanna. Remember when Jesus gave the instructions to his disciples, go get the donkey. And it's specific in, I forget which gospel it is, where he gives the detail. There's the older donkey and there's the never been ridden on baby donkey. Bring the foal of the donkey that's attached. Bring that one. I will ride on that one. Here it is right here from Jacob in this blessing, this prophetic word over his children. And he says, binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. This is the finest of sons. How did that happen? We, you just heard me tell the story on him. Grace, the grace of God, not waiting on Judah to clean up his life. How did people get saved in the Old Testament? They repented of their sins and they trusted in the creator God who called Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and gave them a covenant that he would send a redeemer, Messiah. And that's how he put his faith in what was to come. Jesus, he was changed. Look at verse 27, the final son in the blessing. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf, in the morning devouring the prey, and at evening dividing the spoil. Now I want you to see something. When they come into the promised land, fast forward 400 years, Moses comes, delivers through the Red Sea. They get then 40 years in the wilderness and Moses through Joshua, Joshua takes them into the conquest in the promised land. And then Joshua, God's servant, distributes the lands, all of the lands, the allotment to the different tribes. It's going to come up on the screen. All right, this is in Genesis. Uh, actually, we got to go to uh, Joshua 13 is where this is. Joshua 13 through 18, okay? We're not going to study all of that this morning. But I want you to see the map on the screen. I want you to look at this. There it is. All right, now that's the 12 tribes, and you can just look at all of the different colors. Now, with the big picture in mind, look down, uh, yep, right there, down in the bottom is the green. That's Judah. Inside of the, there is Simeon. Will you go back one screen for me? Because up, you see the purple to your right, that's half tribe of Manasseh. That's one of Joseph's children. Okay, so when Jacob, his father, blessed Ephraim and Manasseh, that's also in Genesis, Jacob took his hands and Joseph had him position, older son, younger son. And then when Jacob went to pray, he did one of these numbers. And he put his right hand on the younger son. And Joseph's like, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. And then he opens his eyes and like, wait, dad, 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 you got the wrong hands. This is the older son over here. You're backwards. You're messing this up, dad. Dads, we like to hear that. And Jacob says, leave me alone, you know, leave me alone. This is of the Lord, you know. He's like, don't mess with me, boy. You might be ruler of Egypt, but I can take you out. I brought you in, I'll take you out. And he blesses, this is the half tribe, there's two. And so Joseph's blessing, there's no tribe of Joseph here. It's Ephraim and Manasseh, his two sons. He gets a double blessing. Okay, so over on the right side of the water, there was that tribe, half, and then over on the other side, you will see, I'm, I'm gonna come over here where I can see it. All right, West Manasseh, East Manasseh on the other side of the Jordan. They cross the Jordan, and there's West Manasseh, and then you see Ephraim, that's the other tribe of Joseph, and then Benjamin is the yellow, and then Judah. All right, take us to the next, the next screen. Now it gets in a little more zoomed in. Now look at this placement. You can see there's Benjamin, the yellow, at the heart of all of this. Who's he surrounded by? His brothers that are tight. Judah and Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh. You see how he's, he's tucked in there? And this is going to ring out through all of the scriptures. This is incredible. Jerusalem, I think it'll come up on the next ring. There's a little star. Look at the heart of Israel. Where is it? It's right there between Benjamin and Judah, and through Judah will come the ruler. That's Jerusalem. Fast forward all the way to Nehemiah. Where are they now? They're right there, back in Jerusalem, under that star, and all of that. And now the land is diminished after coming back from exile. 
It isn't the same glory as under the conquest of under Joshua, under David and his conquests. It's a reduced kingdom, but guess who's still right there connected? Now, fast forward. Sibling rivalry. Anybody know anything about sibling rivalry? Nobody can make you mad like a brother or sister, right? You love them, but you can just get into it with them every now and then. Well, from the tribe of Benjamin, first king of Israel, what's, what's his name? Saul. Of the tribe of, hmm, Jacob said Judah. He's of the tribe of Benjamin. So all through Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles, you're going to see this rivalry between the descendants of Saul and the second king was a descendant of the line of Judah, who is David. And so there's this rivalry between these families. They're so close and they're fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting. From the tribe of Judah came David and then came Solomon. The prophecy from the Lord to David, I, remember what I said to Judah? Your ancestor, it's coming through you and I give you an eternal promise through your descendant will come Messiah. What have we said they're waiting on in Nehemiah's day? That, that promise hasn't been fulfilled yet. We don't have a king now. Our king is over in Persia. We're still waiting and the Lord has said everything that he would do. Why would we not trust him now? He's been faithful in everything else that he has said. We can trust him, but we need to get the city ready. We need to have the walls fixed, the gates fixed. They've done that. Bring out the book. Their hearts are being changed, but they're waiting on the coming Messiah. Now, after Solomon dies, his son, Rehoboam, comes to power, and now there's a kingdom split. There's a kingdom split. The northern and southern kingdoms divide because Solomon's descendant, Rehoboam, they ask him and they say, hey, what kind of a king are you going to be? Heavy, heavy taxes like your dad? And remember, he went and he got counsel from the older people and they said, hey, ease up on the people. You have everything that you need. And if you are kind to them, they'll serve you. And he said, okay, thank you. I'll get back to you. And then he said, buddies, pals, my fraternity, you know, guys, come around me. What do you think I should do? Oh, man, you got to prove you're the man. You got to prove you're not your old man. You got you know, you're, and he comes back and he says, you see my pinky? It's stronger than my father's thigh. And the southern, the northern kingdom said, peace out. We're gone. We're not going to serve you. And the kingdom split. And Rehoboam, Solomon's son, sent the tax collector up to the northern 10 tribes and they, they killed him. He said, don't send anybody else for taxes. I don't recommend this, okay? This is not how you respond to taxes. This is what they did to Solomon's son. This is the kingdom split. That's where the 10 tribes came from, northern kingdom, southern kingdom. And we've been walking through this. And which kingdom fell first? The northern kingdom. Because Jeroboam put up two places you can go. I'm going to make convenient worship convenient for you. I'm going to make it easy for you. I'm going to adapt it to everything you have. Let's make it nearby. Don't go back to Jerusalem, the place that God had chosen. You can go here or you can go here. Let's make it easy. And they separated now this rivalry continues on. When the remnant returns, there's only about 15% that come back. Only about 15% returned when the remnant returned. When they came back from exile, Zerubbabel, Ezra, Nehemiah, when they came back from exile, just about 15% came back. Now think about it, as they're going back, they've been gone 70 years. They're coming back to a nearly vacated, sparse land of Israel from Persia. And the remnant came back. I think there might be a graphic on the screen that'll show the, what we've seen before. There, there's the Israel's history, 
okay? When the kingdom split, Assyria took the northern kingdom, then Babylon, then Babylon came, took the southern kingdom, and away they went. That's the background you need for all the ministry of the prophets. Some of the prophets were in the northern kingdom saying, beware, beware. Assyria came, took them away, and then the prophets that came to Jerusalem and Judah were saying, you think you're better than the northern, the other tribes, your brothers? You think you're better than them? You are closer to the temple, and you're sinning worse than they were. You think God isn't going to deal with you? He will. He will deal with you. Repent. Get right with God. And they didn't listen. So then they go into exile. Then they come back. And we've seen the graphic. There's a graphic that shows the three different returns that Zerubbabel came back, then Ezra came back, and we've been studying under Nehemiah. All of the returns. They rebuilt the temple, but it wasn't like Solomon's temple. There was reformation that happened under Ezra, and they started to work on the walls, and they got stopped. Delay, pause. All these years go by, about 14 years go by. Now they're finally getting to the wall to be rebuilt. Now it's done. Now they're working on this project. But they're waiting on the coming of Messiah. Now here's what we're going to do. Go to Nehemiah. Go to Nehemiah and let's read this chapter. And now you're going to hear all of this background. That's, a, that's maybe the longest introduction I've ever done in a sermon. And you're going to see why. This, this chapter, 11, it's, not, it's a different chapter. It's a list. How do you preach a list? That's what I sat there in my office scratching my head like, how do I preach a list? What do I have here? There's really not any how-to, but there's, there's truth here. You follow along. Nehemiah chapter 11, verse 1. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem. And the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. These are the chiefs of the province who lived in Jerusalem, built, but in the towns, not built, but in the towns of Judah, everyone lived on his property in their towns. Israel the priests, the Levites, the temple servants, and the descendants of Solomon's servants. And in Jerusalem live certain of the sons of Judah and of the sons of Benjamin. Of the sons of Judah, Athaliah, the son of Uzziah, the son of Zechariah, the son of Amariah, the son of Shephatiah, the son of Mahalel, of the sons of Perez. Remember we talked about him? His mother was Tamar. And Messiah, the son of Barak, the son of Kolhoza, the son of Heziah, the son of Adiah, the son of Joyarib, the son of Zechariah, the son of the son of the Shilonite. That was a Canaanite woman that we talked about. Verse 6. All of the sons of Perez who lived in Jerusalem were 468 valiant men. You want to be a valiant man? Serve the Lord. And these are the sons of Benjamin. Salu, the son of Meshulam, the son of Joed, the son of Pediah, the son of Koliah, the son of Messiah, the son of Ithiel, the son of Jehiah, and his brothers. Men of valor, 928. Joel, the son of Zikri. There's a good name, right? Joel. The son of Zikri was their overseer. And Judah, the son of Hesana, was second over the city. Of the priest, Jediah, the son of Jorib, Jachin, Sarai, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Mishalim, the son of Zadok, the son of Merath, the son of Ahitub, ruler of the house of God. So he's going through all of these different designations of what their responsibilities were. Verse 12, and their brothers who did the work of the house, 822. And Adiah, the son of Joram, Jeroam, the son of Peliah, the son of Amzai, the son of Zechariah, the son of Pasher, the son of Malchijah, and his brothers, heads of father's houses, 242. And Amashai, the son of Azrael, the son of Ahaziah, the son of Mishalmoth, that would be a good one on the back of an NBA jersey right there, son of Immer, and their brothers, mighty men of valor, 128. Their overseer was Zabdiel, the son of Hagadim. And of the Levites, Shemaiah, the son of Heshub, the son of Azrikim, the son of Hashbiah, the son of Bunai, and, and Shabbatai, and Josabad, of the chiefs of the Levites who were over the uh, outside work 
of the house of God. They were the groundskeepers. And Mattaniah, the son of Micah, the son of Zabdi, the son of Asaph, who was the leader of the praise, who gave thanks, and Bakbukiah, the second among his brothers, and Abda, the son of Shamu, the son of Gelel, the son of Jeduthun, all the Levites in the holy city were 284. The gatekeepers, Echab, Talman, and their brothers who kept watch at the gates were 172. And the rest of Israel and of the priests and the Levites were in all the towns of Judah, everyone in his inheritance. But the temple servants lived in Ophel and Ziha and Gishba were over the temple servants. The overseer of the Levites in Jerusalem was Uzai, the son of Bani, the son of Hashbiah, the son of Mathaniah, the son of Micah, the sons of Asaph, the singers over the work of the house of God. For there was a command from the king concerning them and a fixed provision for the singers as every day required. And Petholiah, look at this guy, the son of Meshazebel, the sons of Zerah, the son of Judah, was at the king's side in all matters concerning the people. That's all in the city. And as for the villages with their fields, some of the people of Judah lived in Kiriath Arba and its villages, and Dibon and its villages, and in Jechabzeel and its villages, and in Jeshua and in Moladah and in Bethpelet and in Har, Her, oh boy, Hezarshol and in Beersheba and its villages, in Ziklag, in Mekonah and its villages, and in, in Rimmon. And in Zorah, in Jarmuth, in Zenoah, Adullam, and their villages, Lachish, and its fields, and Azekah, and its villages. So they encamped from, here's, here's the boundaries of where they were now, Beersheba, to the valley of Hinnom. The people of Benjamin also lived from Geba onward at Michmash, Ijah, Bethel, and its villages, Anathoth, Nob, Ananiah, Hazor, Ramah, Gidom, Hadid, Zeboam, Nebalat, Lod, and Ono, the valley of the craftsmen, and certain divisions of the Levites in Judah were assigned to Benjamin. Go and do likewise. See what I'm saying? Like, here we go. There's your screensaver right there. Okay. <laughs> that was like a golf clap. Thank you very much. I feel the love, feel the love. Now, listen, here's with all of this backdrop, this chapter does not break down in a sermonic form, okay? There's like in these verses and in these verses, there, there's, there's great weight in all of this chapter. There's a big idea that we want to consider now. How do you see an individual restored? Someone who is taken over by addiction or depression, maybe they have identity or gender confusion or hopelessness. How do you see a life changed, one person? How do you see a family or how do you see a marriage restored that has been put in shambles? How do you see a church that might be on the brink of just going out of existence and the doors closing? Our church has been at that two times in its 60-year history, and the Lord didn't let the lamp go out here. How do you see a church reborn and revitalized? How do you see a community? How do you see a city? How do you see a nation and even a world revitalized that's overwhelmed with violence and murder and racism and you name it, all of the fatherlessness? Is that not a little overwhelming? Does it not feel like, well, what do we do? How do we solve this? This is what I want to lay out for us today. Revival will happen when God's people, what? When they do what? Number one, exalt God's agenda above our own personal desires. That's what we see happening here in these simple ways. This requires devotion. This isn't going to happen with leftover time. This isn't going to happen with leftover change, leftover offerings, if I get around to it, leftover service. This is going to require what is God's will and how will I adjust to be part of what he is doing? that we will exalt God's agenda above our own personal agenda. That's what we see them doing in Nehemiah 11. And it requires devotion. First of all, we have to identify the need. We have to actually know what is the problem here. Well, Jerusalem, Jerusalem needed to be repopulated. Okay, we're familiar with a metropolitan city and everyone moves out of the city. What happens to the city? 
Okay, there's a problem going on right now with immigration. That's a, that's a hot button word. And there are a lot of good people leaving their countries. What is left in those countries then? The Lord is the one that has ordained boundaries and sovereignty to nations for protection, for the glory of God in all of these different ways. So here we are, and in Nehemiah's day, the city of Jerusalem was massively underpopulated. Who wants to live in that city? Honestly, nobody. Can you imagine headlines saying that millions of people or thousands or even hundreds of thousands of people are leaving the USA to go home to the, a third world country? They're walking out of the USA to go home to pick the country that they can walk to, that, they, that they've been coming from. Everybody would say, what? what? You're going back? What? Why? Why are you going? What? It would be exactly opposite of what we see going on right now. That's what the Israelites did. That's what Nehemiah did. He left the palace of Persia to go to a torn out, rotting away city and say, I think, I think we can do something here. This is a fixer-upper, but come on, who's with me? Oh, boy. You sponsored? Yeah, the king. He sponsored me. Okay. And God. Can you imagine leaving, you know, a position in Washington, D.C. or in New York City and saying, actually, I think I'm going to go ahead and move to the Ukraine right now. What? Why would you do that? Here's why you would do that. I love my home country. And I love my people. And I'm going to go make a difference. What difference can you make? And Nehemiah said, I love my God. And there's a work to be done. And so on that basis, he went home to a non-desirable place to go. So here we see the clash of the city versus the country. There's a great difference. Can you imagine the difference between leaving in, living in uh, Washington, D.C. and Richmond, Michigan? How about Emmett, Michigan? How about Mem Memphis, Michigan? Kimball, you know? D.C. and us. New Haven. I can start naming countries. And you're waiting for, name my city. Whoa! You know? <laughs> That was my city. You didn't name my city. Lists, they matter. Maybe you're familiar with, uh, I remember watching Green Acres, you know, coming out of Manhattan. Goodbye, city life, to Hooterville. That's what it was known. That's where they were. It, what, what were they doing there? Beverly Hillbillies, the same thing. They're playing on these people don't think the same. They don't look the same. They don't eat the same foods. They are nothing alike. Hey, let's put them together and let's all watch. Do you understand that's what we just read in Nehemiah 11? Who wants to leave the country and fresh air and view and you see the stars at night and you can see if enemies are coming by looking around and you want to go move in a city with a target on its back, a big, big X? Why would I move in there? Because this is the city of God. This is the verse 1. This is the holy city. That doesn't look very holy. I mean, we did patch some of the holes. It's a bad joke, but... No, this is the holy city. And we need people to live here. And so they did. They need to discern God's will. What needs to be done? What is God's will? So they cast lots. One out of ten. They tied the people to go live in the city. We talked about giving last week. Now they're saying, actually, you need to move. What? Move out of my place and go there? Are you kidding me? Why would we do that? Because it's the will of God. And then be part of the solution. Okay. Some of the people said, we are willing to go. What can I do? We'll go. Come on, pack the stuff. Let's go. And they were part of the solution. And they moved to the city. Who wants to move to the city? You could pay right now, what, six and a half dollars a gallon for gas. And what is rent in the city? Why would you want to go there? There's a calling, and there's people there, and there's a need there. So they would be willing to sacrifice for the Lord. Secondly, show honor to all who serve. 
not just being part of the solution, but let's show honor to those who serve. And this is, we need gratitude. There's a thankfulness that happens when those willingly offer. And then he goes through all of these different lists of those who serve and he highlights them. There are prominent positions in ministry. You see those people. They might be up front. They might be welcoming you. You see them. And let me tell you something. There's a lot of positions that are out of sight. In Jerusalem, there were those who were the priests. They were the descendants of Aaron. There were the Levites, the gatekeepers, the overseers, the leaders of the praise, the singers. Honor and thanksgiving was for these individuals. In the church, yes, there are positions that, that are up front, and you see those people, and here I am, and week after week you come. Thank you. That's wonderful. But there are so many people who serve, and you don't see them. And they're changing diapers, and they're cleaning, and they're taking care of all, you know, all of the different things. Are those important? Yes, absolutely. They're not independent of one another. People mowing grass, people fixing a roof, people making a phone call, people stopping by to someone else's house, taking a meal when something happens, just to show love, sending a card. Those are the unseen, those are the obscure positions in ministry. And this text is showing us there, you need both. It's all part of the family. It's all part of God's work. There's the leaders, and then there are those who are leading by following and serving in all of these different realms. There's a lot of them not mentioned by name, but they're on the list, hundreds of them. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, so whether you eat or, whatever, or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Can I encourage you in this? Can I say a big thank you? Not that you do it for Thanksgiving, but those who prepare coffee and get donuts in the morning and all of the things that are done in so many ways. How you blessed our family through the years and even this week just coming and fellowshipping. Do you know what that means how we appreciate that. I appreciate that so much. How you serve and how you welcome others who come that they can, I was talking to someone this week and they said, when I come, I feel like I belong at that church. Well, that's not a one person thing. That's the whole body functioning, being here to welcome them. And then thirdly, we see if we're going to see revival happen as God's people, we need to live for the Lord wherever we are. And this demands our surrender. Okay, if I'm in the city, fine. If I'm in the country, fine. I'm going to live for the Lord. I want to live for the Lord. That's what they're saying is, Lord, use me. Wherever you are, whatever your career may be, wherever you live, and the Lord, yes, he may call you and send you somewhere else be willing, but start where you are. Perhaps it's in the spotlight. Maybe you're called to serve in a visible place or in a visible position. Well, serve the Lord faithfully there. It's the Lord who's given you that position, so serve him faithfully. Or maybe you're in the low light. Maybe it's not seen prominently. Don't despise the day of small things. Do you know how much I love those who serve in the nursery? How thankful I am for that team. Do you know how often underappreciated those individuals are by those others willing to go serve and say, can I help you? Well, I just thought somebody else did. I just thought they like ordered them from Amazon, nursery workers. They just show up a day later. No, often it's the same people. And they're having an influence in the future generations of the church. And yes, they're always in need. And it's an out-of-the-way position, but there's a need. There always is. And when God's people say, where do you need me? Some of the people said, you don't have to force me. I'll go. I'll surrender. And that was hard for them. They gave up the country living to go live in the city with, well, guess I don't need a mower anymore. One goat will do. This is it. We're in the city now, baby. Goodbye, city life. Let's go back. Now, a couple more things I want you to see because when we get to the New Testament, 
In the New Testament, I'm going to give you some, some passages to write down. We see the Messiah come. So 500 years later, after Nehemiah 11, comes Jesus. Comes Jesus, and he's a royal descendant from the line of Judah. He comes into the holy city, and he is teaching the way, and he comes for our salvation. And in Luke 10, 25 to 37, he's teaching, and the young ruler comes and says, how can I inherit eternal life? What must I do? Do you know how many people think that? What do I need to do to be right with God? There's nothing you can do to be right with God. God has done it himself in Jesus. And so Jesus says, let me tell you, let me tell you something. And he tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. Do you remember who's involved in the parable of the Good Samaritan and the locations? And remember that image on the screen of where they lived at Jerusalem and all the divided up where they lived? And now he goes down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's on the rotation and he goes down and he falls among thieves. And along comes the priest and he looks and he sees him. I've been gone about a month in my rotation. I think I need to get on home to my family. And whoop, off down he goes. And then comes the Levite. We've been reading about them right here in, in Nehemiah 11. And he's like, ooh, that guy's really in bad trouble, but I don't got time today. I've been gone about probably a month. I got to get on home. And he goes that road. And then comes the Samaritan. And he sees him in need, and he stops, and he goes over, and he ministers to him, and it costs him this sacrifice. And the Jewish people are thinking, oh, what's going on here? And he sacrificed his own garment, his own animal, and he put him in an inn, and he paid for it. Who did that for us? Jesus did that. And then you fast forward to a man named Saul of Tarsus, and Saul is of what tribe? Benjamin. Have we forgotten the rivalry, the sibling rivalry? And this Benjaminite has a, he hates that guy from Nazareth who's of Judah until he meets him on the road to Damascus and everything changes. And then that son of Benjamin lives and dies proclaiming you need to give everything and worship and submit to the son of David of the tribe, the lion of Judah. And it moves him away from his Pharisee and all of Jerusalem and all of the up background and he moves out to the need of the world. And everybody says, how'd that happen? He met Jesus. And it changed his life. And he writes in Ephesians 2.13, Paul to the churches, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Gentiles, Jews, all wiped away. There's one way and he's bringing you near. How do you do that? Jesus. So let's just look at this summary. If you pull that up, when will revival happen? When will we actually be moved for the glory of God and live for his? It's when we set our agenda below God's, after God's, his first. God, what do you have for me? When we show honor to all who serve. How do you do that? There are people who put themselves in harm's way do you show honor to them? They're in our community. They're in our church. And they go in when everybody else runs, they go into danger. We honor them. We grieve when their lives are tragically taken. And there are those who go into difficult and dark places without the gospel and we partner with them saying we're not called to go there, but we are called to care about there. So we will help you to go. And wherever you are, if it's here, serve the Lord. Wherever he's placed you, don't wait. Well, when I get there, then I'll serve the Lord. When I make this, then I'll give to the Lord. Wherever you are, serve the Lord there. And when he moves you, if he moves you, serve him there. Be faithful in little things and trust him for greater things. Will you pray with me? Father.
Oh, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that we can trust you. I thank you that you allow, that you call, that you desire our service in your great plan, your kingdom. Father, I pray for those who have not come to worship Jesus, that today would be their day of surrender to you, that they would give their all to you and not be held back by, by pride or by feelings of shame or I need to clean up and get it all together and then, but today they would say, here am I, Lord, forgive me, I give you my heart, I give you my life. And as a church, oh God, I pray that you would help us to be consumed with your mission, with your agenda, that we would submit, that we'd be thankful, Lord, for those who serve you, that we would be filled with gratitude, and in all things, we will be surrendered to you. Your will, let your will be done, not ours. May your kingdom come. In Jesus' powerful name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.